here at Grace Life would love to help you discover Jesus' unconditional love and grace for you. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and further establish you in the truth of God's Word. So we're kicking off something brand new this morning. We're calling it the Fearless Family. <coughs> and I really just believe that is a such a key word for us as, as a family. As a, this is a time to be fearless. This is a time to be fearless, but it's a time to be fearless as family. Uh, it's difficult to be fearless when you're by yourself. It's easier to be bold and to stand out and to step out and to do the things that God has called you to do when you're not by yourself. And again, that's why we wanted to, to invite you to this platform. But we're not just a Sunday church. Uh, we're an everyday church. Uh, we, we do life together. There's different groups, but not just groups. There's there's life happening. When you need people, there's people there. Someone uh, who's in the meeting currently um, had COVID or probably still has, but we're speaking into that. And before Natasha and myself could even organize meals, there's been three or four, maybe five people who's given meals and taken food. And that's really just what we do as a church is um, we take care of each other. And it's really so awesome to be able to, to do so. So we're going to look at the fearless family. And I want to look at it from the book of John, the gospel of John. And really, the Gospel of John is so rich. It is so pure. It's such a pure message of Christ. And really, if you think about it, um, how do we get to the fearless family from the book of, of John, the Gospel? Well, there was only one disciple at the foot of the cross, <laughs> which is sad, but it's true. There was only one disciple, and it was John. And uh, there was only one disciple. There was many women there. But John 19, John 19, verse 25, we're going to look at it from the New King James. It says, Now they stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. So what I want to get to this morning is just uh, how, do you, how do you stay the course? How do you stay with Jesus when things go bad? And that's really when things are fearful, when things are scary, when things are out of the ordinary. Um, and, and I believe there's a lot of keys for us in the book of John. Not just the book of John, but the, the, the example of, of the disciple whom Jesus loved, who, who is John. Now the first thing then is then that we need to know that God loves us. We need to know that God loves us, that Jesus loves us. Because John wrote about the disciple whom Jesus loved, but he actually writes about himself. In the other Gospels, you never hear of the disciple whom Jesus loved. But John speaks about himself. So there's a key for us is we need to be convinced of God's love for us. Remember, Peter was convinced of his love for Jesus. And was he at the cross? No, he wasn't. But then that three times he said, he said, I don't know this guy. Why? Because of fear. There's enough reason to fear out there currently in the world. But we need to stick close to our Savior, to Jesus, to the one who's on the inside of us, um, to the one who answers us. Anya, thanks for that word there. In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength. In my soul. We can only be bold and, and courageous when we see God, when we see Jesus for who He is. Later on, Peter gets a bit of this revelation in Acts 4 verse 13. He and John goes up uh, just after they, they've healed the guy at the temple and they said that people were amazed. They marveled. They saw that they were ignorant. They were unlearned, um, but they marveled at their boldness, but they took note that they had been with Jesus. Peter and John had been with Jesus, but at the foot of the cross, when there's a crisis, there's only one disciple there. And I don't know about you, I want to remain 
at the feet of Jesus. I want to remain close to him even in, in, in a time of crisis. And therefore we want to go and we want to dig out some, some of the gold. If you look at John 15, 16, 17, or John 16, 17, 18 probably, and you look at how Jesus prepares them for a crisis, that's an awesome teaching. Jesus prays for them. Jesus tells them what's to come. Again, that you only find in the Gospel of John. You don't find that detail. He did share it with everyone, but it is almost as if Matthew and, and, and didn't, didn't take heed to that. And again, you don't see Matthew at the foot of the cross. So there's a closeness there. So if we ask ourselves this morning, why was John the only disciple at the foot of the cross? Why was he the only disciple? Now, there was many ladies there. Ladies, well done. I think you are much more brave than uh, that what the world gives you uh, honor for. You are the, 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 really the, the glue that holds uh, communities and people together, families together. And I want to honor you for that. And I believe there's, a, there's an attack on women, and there has been for, for, for centuries. Um, but there we see clearly who's the bravest. Peter with his big mouth wasn't there. John was there. And some women, some women who realize and, and, and let um, live lives close to Jesus. And we want to do the same. So why was he the only disciple at the foot of the cross? I believe there's two reasons. And I believe the first reason is revelation. And the second one is relationship. Revelation and relationship. And this is something I got from Shane, our lead pastor. And he really um, encourages us that we build kingdom. We build church through revelation and relationship. And if I look at it, John did exactly that. There's a reason why John wrote the book of Revelation later on. He had a revelation of Christ, but he had a relationship. And I think the two go hand in hand. You're going to struggle to get great revelation without having intimate relationship. And uh, it's really an amazing truth. We can look at it in the life of John. He was the only one at the foot of the cross. He was the fearless disciple. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved, yes. But I want to, I want to, I want to give him a new name, another name. And he was the fearless disciple. The word, um, one of the early church fathers wrote, and he said that John was thrown into a pot of boiling oil in the middle of the Colosseum. This is now after the cross. With the whole Colosseum filled with people waiting to see this guy be like cooked, literally. And he just got into the pot and he got out of the pot unharmed. He was really the fearless disciple. It's not in scripture, but it's in, uh, in, in church history. It's written there that, that he was cooked. He was boiled in a pot of oil and it didn't harm him. You see, if you're convinced of your love for God, it's not about circumstances. It's about who you are. It's about who he is on the inside of you. And John really, his, he hits hard. <laughs> if you look at the other gospels, they sort of build up and they tell the story of Jesus and they start off in the end. Um, they start off with the, um, the, just, just the, the genealogy of Jesus. They start off with uh, telling the Jews, coloring in the picture where John just hits hard. And we're going to look at it in a moment. But yeah. We're going to look at the two keys, revelation and relationship. So John 13, verse 23, John 13 and verse 23 from the easy to read version says, one of the followers was next to Jesus and was leaning close to him. So this is at the last meal, the last supper. Uh, Jesus is saying, listen, one of you is going to b betray me. And, um, and there's one close. There's not many close. It says there's one of the followers was close. This was the one Jesus loved very much. What a verse. And who wrote it? The one who was close. The one who was convinced of God's love for him. Simon Peter made signs to this follower to ask Jesus who he's talking about. So Simon, you can see there, uh, he's too far away to ask Jesus himself. So he, 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 he does some finger language there. And he explains to John, listen, ask Jesus who is the one. And why is John the one to ask? Because he's close. And really that's important for us. We need to stay close. We need to, to abide with the Father. 
and with his son. Verse 25, that follower leaned closer. So when we need answers, we need to know that we are close, but you can even lean in closer. You can be even like, Jesus is with us, okay? <laughs> You're not going to get more of him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1 verse 27. But you can lean into that. You can tap into the presence. You can, you can ask and learn and, and, and yearn and search and seek where he is. So he leaned closer and asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered him, I will dip this bread into the dish. The man I give it to, he is the one. So Jesus took a piece of bread, dipped it and gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. So you see that there's an intimacy there. There's, John is privy to information that none of the other disciples have. Maybe Peter to a degree, but he's privy to information. The others don't. It's a, it's a secret sign almost between Jesus and the others. And I wanted to share with you, it's not because Jesus prefers John. You need to get that. It's not because Jesus preferred John. It's because John was close. Why was he close? He was convinced of his love. Not his love for God, but Jesus' love for him. The disciple whom Jesus loved. So that's so important. That was that, that revelation and relationship that we see there. So according to the book of John, um, John 1.1, 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Like he just opens up bold. He just, he just smacks it out of the park right from the start. First verse. Like he's not going to build up to this. He's not going to like go around the issue. He just hits hard. And uh, he says, this is who Jesus is. He is the word. He's the son of God. And so important for us to realize that, to know that. And even if we look at rightly dividing the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15 says, we need to rightly divide the word of truth. So you can't just read the Old Testament and the New Testament and think it's all the same. You can't just read the Gospels and the epistles and think you, you, you interpret it in the same manner. But if we look at the rightly dividing, the, the writers of the Bible explains to us that there's Moses and the prophets. Now we know it as the Old Testament. So I'm giving you a little tool here this morning for you to do your own Bible study because that's really where the power lies is when you interact with God directly. There's the apostles that writes and they speak about the scriptures. The scriptures then is broken up into the, the Moses and the prophets. That's the Old Testament. Then we come into the New Testament. There's a 400-year journey where they, we don't have any written um, words from God. And then all of a sudden, we have the book of Matthew. We have the book of Matthew, which is a gospel account. We've got Mark, which is a condensed version. We've got Luke, who tells us a narrative. He says in Luke 1, clearly, this is the story. He says, this is the story. This is the narrative of what I've seen. And then Acts really is a continuation of the book of Luke. And Acts 1, uh, you can go find it there. It's confirmed. So it's actually Luke 1 and Luke 2, which be Luke and Acts, as we know it. But John, we know it as a gospel, but it's a little different. It's a little different in that John doesn't just tell the story, but he shares the, the truth behind the story. And that's evident from John 1, 1. In the beginning, now he wasn't there. John wasn't there, but he has a revelation. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then he tells us a bit about John the Baptist. Then he pans back to Jesus, the one with truth and life. He says, Moses came to give you the law, but the one that came after Jesus, he gave you uh, truth and grace, full of grace and truth. So we need to, to, to see if we're going to dissect, and the word rightly divide is like, uh, like dissecting uh, the Bible, like dissecting the truth. We need to understand what we come to when we come to the book of John. It is not just a story. It's not just a gospel account like Luke, Mark, Matthew. No, it is telling us more. It's giving us the behind the scenes. It's giving us the truth. And how? How come this be? Well, it's because of the revelation and the relationship that John had. So we must look at the author. We must see his position. We must see that he's at the foot of the cross. 
He's the one capturing the final, the last words of Jesus before he dies. But he's also the one that lives with him closer than a brother. He leans on his chest. He's there with him. And he understands uh, a lot more than, than some of the other disciples. Some of them later come to the understanding like Peter. But John knew sort of something else. He had a different approach to this. So let's go to John 1. John 1 and verse 1 from the Passion Translation says, In the very beginning, the life or the living expression was already there. The Word. He says it's the living expression. And the living expression was God, yet fully God. So he says this is, the Word was there. The Word was from the beginning. God was there expressing goodness, expressing life. If we go to, down to verse 4, it says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. What a, <laughs> what a truth bomb, if you've ever heard. That's a new word I've heard of late. A truth bomb. That's a truth bomb, if you ever wanted one. In Him was life. And the life was the light of man. So we live in a world where people don't no longer want Jesus. They, we live in a post-Christian society where people think this is old, old, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's old wild tales. It's, uh, it's like, yeah, it's so backwards. No, he is the life. He is the light of men. So if we do away with the light, then what do we do? We end up in darkness. And the world currently is, is, is ended up in darkness. You can read Romans 1. That explains it clearly that like, if, we don't, if we're not thankful, that's a theme for today. We need to be thankful. Yes, we want to be in person and we want to have um, amazing worship. We want to sing together. But today we can't. So let's be thankful for what we have. Let's be thankful for the Word. Let's be thankful for Jesus who's now living not just for us but in us. Amen. That's a good word. In Him was life and the life was the light of men. In whom? In Christ was life and light. The Passion says life came into being because of him for his life is light for all humanity so jesus was life and light and he was there before adam and eve was even made and that's what john really says from the beginning from before time now how can anything happen before time well time is governed by the sun and the moon and the seasons so before the sun and the moon and the seasons were created the word was already there so he was there before time so it says he is the spark of human life the aramaic Translation, Jesus Christ brings the light of eternal life and the full revelation of God. The Gospel of John, then we can divide into three sections. Again, I'm just giving you some tools, uh, some study material. So chapters 1 to 7 speaks about Jesus as life. Then chapters 8 to 12 speaks about Jesus as the light. And then chapters 13 to 21, Jesus as love. So life, light, and love. And that's really what we encounter when we encounter Christ, when we encounter the book of John. When we encounter then Christ through the Gospel of John, and that's really what I want to invite you to, is not just to read the Bible, but to have an encounter with Jesus. To see yourself leaning on His bosom, asking Him the questions, seeing who He is, seeing where He fits in, in all humanity, in all eternity, and then having that encounter with Him. So one, uh, John 1 and verse 5 then says, And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness comprehends it not. The darkness understands it not. The darkness, also we know, cannot put it out. And that's for me a brilliant word for us in this time. It is what we need to focus on. We need to focus on the light. Yes, the darkness doesn't understand the light, but we are not of the darkness. We are children of light. The book of James says God is the, the father of lights. And if we know that if we're his children, then he is the father of us. He's the father of lights. We are lights in his image. The passion there says, and this living expression is the light that bursts through gloom. 
The light that darkness could not diminish. The light that burst through gloom. We live in a gloomy time. We live in a time where, where there's darkness, where there's grave darkness, where there's sadness, where there's sickness, uh, where there's confusion like never before, I believe. But there's no more truth in the world out there. But we know the one who is truth. We know Christ, the hope, the life, the light, the truth, the love of God. Amen. The light bursts through the gloom. So if you're feeling gloomy, if you're feeling worn down, if you're feeling tired, if you've got COVID fatigue, like they say, like let's focus on Jesus. Let's focus on His life, His light that's not just for us but in us. Let's focus on stirring up the, from, and drawing from the wells of salvation, Isaiah 12 speaks about. Let's draw up from the wells of salvation and let life flow in forms of living rivers of water into the world out there. Amen. The message says, 1 John 5, What came into existence was life, and the life was light to live by. This life light blazed out of the darkness, and darkness couldn't put it out. Amen. I get stirred up by just, which I mean, verse 5, and I'm already super excited. The life of God, the life light blazed out of the darkness, and the darkness couldn't put it out. That's a word for us. No matter what is happening, what darkness is trying to do, what, 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 what acts or whatever they put against us, how they try and maneuver to condemn the church and to contain the church and to, to lock down the church. Light shines in darkness and darkness can never put it out. Amen. Darkness can never put it out. It can never, it has never, it will never. Amen. Let's go to verse 9. John 1 verse 9 from the message says, The life light was the real thing. <laughs> I love it. I love some translations. It just puts it easy for us to understand. This life light was the real thing. Every person entering life, he brings into light. So when we step into life, we know it's eternal life. Automatically, Jesus puts us in his light. Because it's one thing. His life and his light goes together. He was in the world and the world was there through him. So he says he came to visit what he made. That's another way to say it. He came to visit that which he created. And yet the world didn't even notice. So sometimes we feel we go unnoticed, like we've got this power of God, we've got the light, we stood up, we're ready, and no one wants to, to draw from our well. Well, no one wanted to draw from Jesus. He was the creator of the universe and the creator that wasn't even noticed by the universe. He came to his own people, but they didn't want him. Again, I'm not trying to put gloom on you. I'm just saying, hey, Jesus went through these things. We'll be okay if we go through it as well. They didn't want him, but whoever did want him, who believed he was, who he claimed he would do what he said. Uh, sorry, let me read that again. And yet the world didn't even notice. He came to his own people, but they didn't want him. But whoever did want him. So he says, there's some who wanted him, who believed he was who he claimed. So we need to believe that Jesus is who he claimed. He's the son of God. He's the hope of the world. He's the one from the before the beginning. And would do what he said. He made to be their true selves. I love that. We are not our true selves until we come to Christ. It's only when we come to Christ that we become our true selves. How God created us. How God wanted us. In the beginning, like you can go and read John 1 and Genesis 1. There's very much similarities in there. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. In the beginning, God created. And He said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. Genesis 1.26 So important then that when we realize we receive Christ, we actually step into the reigning power that God promised right in Genesis 1. It's only that when we receive Christ, when we are one with Him, when we receive the life light that was breathed into us. In the beginning, God breathes into the nostrils of Adam and He becomes alive. Jesus, after the cross, breathes over 
um, his disciples and he breathes the spirit over them. New life, giving them the fullness of what God promised right in the beginning. What all through humanity people have messed up. Jesus has come to restore that. And again, not a lot of people notice. Not a lot of people want it. But us who do, us who understand, us who, who draw on Him, we can then experience that. And what do you need to do? You need to, to draw in. You need to breathe in what Jesus has breathed out. You need to receive what is yours through Christ. Amen. Whoever did want Him, who believed, and they said that He would do what He said. He made them to be their true selves. I love this. The child of God selves. Who's your true self? It's when you are the child of God. It's when you are where you're supposed to be. Amen. These are the God begotten, not blood begotten, not flesh begotten, not sex begotten. The God begotten, the sons of God, the children of God, born from above, born of God, born in the spirit to be like him forever. Let's go to verse 12 from the King James. It says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power. Say power where you are. You've got power. If you receive Christ, you've got power, amen, to become the sons of God even to them that believe on His name. So what do you need to do to become a son of God? You need to believe the power of His name. You need to do anything. You get to do a lot of stuff. You get to see healings. You get to speak the word. You get to be a witness. You get to operate in the power of the Holy Ghost. You don't have to, but as a son, you get to. And it's so awesome to see that. Power, it is ability. It is a privilege. The word there can be translated privilege. It is a force or capacity. It is a a mastery. It says superhuman. When you receive Christ, you become superhuman. You become more than a human because you've got the power of the Holy Spirit now living on the inside of you. It is influence. It speaks about jurisdiction, liberty, power, right, and strength. You've got, you need to change. <laughs> Amen. When you receive Christ, you need to be different. You are different. That's the, that, that's the wake up call I have for you this morning. When you've received Christ, you are different. Now it's to renew your mind to that difference and start to operate in the power that God has for you. Amen. I hope you get something from this this morning. John 1 and verse 12 from the Passion says, But those who embraced Him and took hold of His name were given authority to become children of God. Those who embraced Him. Yes, it is to accept Him, but it's also to draw close to Him. The Word often speaks about this face-to-face -face encounter that we need to have with God. Apparently in the Hebrew, there's no word for presence. Now, presence is a big thing, and we, we love the presence of God. But the word there in the Hebrew is face to face. So we can feel we're in the presence of God and we feel, oh, your God is somewhere here. God is on the inside of me. But it's really face to face. It is to, to have that closeness, that intimacy. Um, if you think about the prodigal son, I like to, the, the latest name I heard that I love for that um, Luke 15 parable is the kissing father. So forget about the prodigal son, but let's focus on the kissing father. And I don't know about you, but you need to be face to face to receive that kiss. The kiss of the Father. And the word there says that he, he kisses them continuously. He fell on his neck and kissed them. And that's the same word that Luke, the writer of Luke 15, used in Acts later when he says the Holy Spirit fell on them. So the Holy Spirit is kissing us this morning. He's kissing us face to face. He's kissing us nonstop. He is the kissing Father. He is the kiss of the Father. Amen. And uh, that's why Jesus was so upset when, when, um, when Jesus betrayed him with a kiss. Because he perversed what God wants to do through the Spirit. And that's just what, what happens in the world out there. There's so many things that is perversed by the enemy. But we don't need to get sidetracked. We can just focus on the real thing. We can just focus on receiving that kiss of the Father. Enjoying His presence. Looking at Him face to face. Verse 14 says, And so the living expression...
became a man and lived among us. The word of God, the expression of who God is, came and became a man. And we gazed upon the splendor of his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, overflowing with tender mercy and truth. The King James there says, full of grace and truth. So the expression of who God is, is seen in Jesus. If you wonder what God is like, look at Jesus. But I want to say, look at Jesus from the book of John. (laughs) It really gives you an intimate picture because he was the one close to him. He was the one with the revelation and the relationship. Verse 16, and of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. Of his fullness have we received and grace for grace. Now, when we receive of Jesus' fullness, it doesn't diminish what he has. And I think that's important. When you draw of his power, you're not, you're not drawing him empty. Because Colossians 2 and verse 9, let's go there quickly. Colossians 2 and verse 9. says, for in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Meaning, all who God is, is seen in Christ in the body. And you are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. What a statement. If you ever wanted to have a, a, a verse up on your fridge, a fridge magnet scripture, this is it. <laughs> this should be it. Not God has good plans for you because the good plans he has for you is already fulfilled. That hope is now not out there. It's in here. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's why we need to rightly divide the word of truth so that we can come from the epistles and look back at the fulfillment of what happened and know who we are and whose we are and what we have in Christ. Our faith becomes effective. Amen. We need effective faith. I can't see all of you, but if you need effective faith, you need your faith to be effective. Just raise your hand and say, yes, I do. I do. I need effective faith. My hand is up. So Philemon 1 and verse 6 says that that the steering of your faith may become effective. How? By the acknowledgement of every good work you're ever going to do. No. By the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you. Where is in you? It's in you. In what? In Christ. The fullness of who God is, is in Christ and Christ is now in you. You are full of God, full of power, full of Christ, full of light, full of hope, full of life. When we release, when we open our mouths, it should be like the world just like encounters light. It just, it just gets these forces of power, of life, of light. Yes, if we need to pray again, we'll pray again. Because every time we pray, we release life. We release power. We release who God is on the inside of us. But we know that we're not trying to get more of God. That's a word for us this morning. If you never heard this before, this is for you. You're not trying to get more of God. Because if you link the dots, Colossians 2 says from verse 9 that all who God is lives in Christ. And then verse 10 says you are complete in Him. Amen. So what more can you get than the completeness of who God is? <laughs> for years and years, I didn't know this. I was, a, I was a useless Christian because I didn't know what I have. I had no effect of faith because Philemon 1 and verse 6, like Glenn shared earlier, says that it's only when we realize what's on the inside that we become effective. And I don't know about you, but we live in a world that needs some effective Christians. Amen. It should be abnormal when Christians are normal. I'm going to say that again. It should be abnormal for Christians to be normal. I mean, I'm not talking about weird. Yes, we are a a peculiar people, that's fine. But we should be living the life, amen? The good life, the abundant life. And I'm not talking about things. I'm talking about power. I'm talking about light. I'm talking about Christ in you, the hope of glory that the world out there needs. And we're going to tap in and we're going we're gonna to pour out. We're going to tap in and we're going to pour out. We're going to draw from that well of salvation continuously until we see breakthrough, until we see Christ manifest in the world out there. And of His fullness, 1 John, uh, John 1.16, 
Out of his fullness we are filled. And from him we receive grace heaped upon more grace. You need to see God as gracious. Amen. You need to see and that's what Christ came to give. But he's not just gracious and forgiving your sins. He is powerful. And I think that we, we forget when we focus too much on God's grace and mercy, we forget on the power. Now the power is there to forgive, but then also to forget and to move on. Amen. We see just how, how, um, how Paul changed. And he says, yes, I, I, I was the worst sinner of all. <laughs> I was self-righteous. I was killing the children of God. Amen. But he's not saying, what does he say? One thing I do, not looking back, but putting the eyes on the price for the hope of the one who's called me unto greater things. We all have a past. Come on. We all have shame. We all have a background. We all have things that we can dug into. We've got mud in our backgrounds. But guess what? That mud is wiped clean. You are, you are clean. You are pure by the blood of Jesus. By the Holy Ghost lives in you. The Holy Ghost only lives in the Holy of Holies. And He lives in you. That makes you holy. You're a saint. Ephesians 1 says that so clearly. Faithful saints of Christ. God is building a temple and He's building it through people. We are living stones being put together by the Holy Spirit. That is church, man. Church is not a building. Church is the people of God on a mission. Knitted together, joined together by Christ in us, the hope of glory. And let's live that. Let's move through that. That is who God is. He is gracious, but He's powerful. He's merciful. He's long-suffering, but He's kind. But guess what? He's now in us and He's for us. John 1 and verse 18 says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Why was John in the bosom of Jesus? Because he was a little weird. No, because he knew that Jesus was in the bosom of the Father. And I saw this yesterday for the first time. 1 John 18. Or John 1 18. No man has seen God, but Christ who was in the bosom of the Father. And then we looked at where was, where was John? In um, the first verse, John 19, he was in the bosom of Christ. In the bosom of Jesus. And where was Jesus? In the bosom of God. And then we get this amazing revelation, which we'll probably get to not today, in John 17 that speaks about this oneness. This oneness between us and Jesus and Jesus and God and we and God and this all, this all together, this magic potion, if you will, of oneness, of completeness in Christ. Colossians 2 then just confirms that for us. But so beautiful to see that He is in the bosom of the Father. John was close to Jesus because Jesus was close to the Father. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen Christ, you've seen who God is. God is not different. I don't know about your picture of God, but if you think about God and Jesus, do you think about two different like personalities? We shouldn't. We shouldn't. We, we grew up like that, but we shouldn't. Because God is not angry and Jesus is like in the middle and say, Hey, the blood and remember the cross. And no, He is the one now living in you, but God is living in you through Him. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. This is for someone. You who knew no sin, he who knew no sin became sin. So that you can be what? The righteousness of God. You were a slaves to righteousness. Meaning if you're a slave, you don't have no say. <laughs> I love it. You've got no say in it, in the matter. But you're a slave to righteousness. God says you're righteous and you can't do anything about it. Amen. Why? Through him who loved you. He who knew no sin became sin so that you can be the righteousness of God. Where? In Christ Jesus. We need to wake up to the in Christ realities wherein we live. And John is going to help us. To do that. The Passion says from John 1.18, No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor except the uniquely beloved Son, who is cherished by the Father and held close to His heart. How beautiful. Again, it shows us intimacy. It shows us that closeness. 
Now he has unfolded to us the full explanation of who God truly is. What a statement. There's another truth bomb for you. No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor. Moses wanted to. God said, no, it's not for you. Why? It was for the son. It was for the second Adam. It was for Jesus to experience that and to bring it to us. We cherished by the father and held close to his heart. Now he has unfolded to us the full explanation of who God truly is. And uh, we said that we're looking at, at John and we're looking at the fearless family. And I want to just come back to that point. We want to live fearless lives in the midst of, of trouble, in the midst of tribulation. It's John 16, that says what Jesus said. In this life, you will have trouble, but take heart. You see, when we get into the, 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 the mindset or the, we put on the lenses of John, if you will, and we, we, the scriptures we know, but we see that it's all in John. In this world, you will have trouble. So when there was trouble, that's John 16. John 20, Jesus gets crucified. But John knew that there's going to be trouble. He's the one who listened. <laughs> He's not the one who waited for the riches and the pearly gates. And yeah, there was times when he was like wanting to sit at the right hand of Jesus and all of that. But there was a, there was a growth in it. And he, he brought to remembrance what Jesus said and how Jesus prepared them for trouble. Now, I remember at the end of 2019, we as a leadership started speaking about we need to become persecution proof. We need to not just focus on Sunday services and having a great band and a smoke machine or whatever that is, but we need to, what do we do? And this was a crazy idea in, in November 2019. He said, what do we do if we can't meet on a Sunday? And it was a foreign concept. I mean, the biggest problem we ever had was Wurtfeers when we didn't have a venue and we would have to make a plan with a tent or, or something like that. It was the biggest problem and it was once a year. And then all of a sudden, March 27, uh, 2020 comes and, and, and we can't meet in person. And we don't fall apart because we listened. We became persecution proof. And I'm not saying this is persecution. That's a different discussion. I'm just saying we're able to meet. We're aiming to be church. The church is not closed. Amen. Pratia Hotel is closed for us today, but the church is not closed. But we need to, to realize that. So John did it through what? Revelation and relationship. And if we want to grow in our revelation, we really need to grow in the understanding of the whole Bible. Not just some of it. And we need to understand and rightly divide the word. And we need to see the fulfillment of the old in the life of Christ and then what it means to us through the epistles. Now, the epistles is the letters. It's what comes from Romans onwards. And then we get Revelation again, which is a different book, different type of, 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 of book, again, written by John. <laughs> so John really is exceptional um, in many ways. He's exceptional in his writing, meaning he's not writing like others. He's not like, writing like Peter and Paul. He's writing differently. He's not writing like Mark and Matthew. He's, he's, he's writing a different type of gospel. And I want to share with you one more amazing revelation. This really just blessed me so much. And, um, and then we're going to give you an opportunity to just give us some... some we, we call it feasting on the word. And we want to give you an opportunity to share with us what you got, what the Holy Spirit dropped in your heart this morning. But John 1 and verse 32. There's many, many of these things in John. And we're going to look at it in the next few weeks. But John 1 verse 20, uh, 32 from the New Living Translation says, Then John testified. Now, this is not John who wrote the Gospel of John. This is John the Baptist. John testified and he said, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. So it's just after Jesus got baptized by John the Baptist. And there's a whole thing. John 1 29. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For time's sake, I, I had to jump from 18 to 32. And there's a lot in there which you can go and and, and, and camping in this week. But John says, I've, I've seen the Holy Spirit, but very interesting, in the form of a dove. 
Now, I don't know about you, but if you think about Christian symbols, obviously the cross is, is one, but the dove is quite evident. And I've never really thought about it so much. And then you see the dove with an olive branch in his, in his beak. I remember growing up in church and it was often on the front of the preekstool. There was this dove or there was a dove with, a, with an olive branch. Now, where does it come from? And it doesn't come from just this, John 1.32. It comes from Genesis 8. It comes from uh, Noah and the ark. And after the rain stops and it came, uh, that the ark comes to rest on the Mount Ararat, he sends out a raven. And then the raven, um, I think the raven disappears. Which is amazing if you think about it. I'm not going to teach on that now. The raven doesn't come back. He sends out a dove, the dove comes back. The dove doesn't find a resting place. He sends out the dove again. And then the dove comes back with an olive branch, showing there's life. He sends out the dove a third time, and the dove never comes back. The dove doesn't find a resting place. The dove is out there. Now we know that the dove is a picture of the Holy Spirit. So, Genesis 1, in the beginning, the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. Okay, you agree with me if you know your Bible. Um, Noah lets out the dove. And it says in John and Genesis 8, for time's sake, I'm not going to go there. You can go check it out. This, the, 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 the dove hovers over the waters and doesn't find a resting place because it's still covered with water. Genesis 1, Genesis 8, there's already a, a link there. And then John pulls it through to John 1. And he now is going to show us the fulfillment of what happened there. Noah brings it back into the ark, lets it out again. And then he comes back with, a, with an olive branch, a sign of hope. It's as if Adam is now made, first Adam, and there's, there's, there's plants, there's life, there's, there's a sign of hope, but there's not the fullness. And then he lets him out again, and the spirit doesn't come back. The, the dove doesn't come back to Noah, because Noah then takes it as a sign that there's dry land, and now he can open, and uh, he, he can let the, the animals and his family out. But that dove really doesn't find resting place. But now, when Jesus is baptized, it says so beautifully, in John 1, 32, that he saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. And that was really what God spoke to John. And John said, like God told me, the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, is the one on whom the dove, the Holy Spirit, descends and rests. That's so important. It's not just that he descends on Christ, but he finds rest in Christ. So if we are now stepping into our unity with Christ, we know that the Holy Spirit is at rest within us. The Holy Spirit is at rest upon us. The Holy Spirit is at rest where we are because we are where Christ is. And we need to now realize that and realize then and wake up to the fact that we can be at rest in Him. If God is at rest in you, why are we not at rest in Him? Why do we want to still work for it, stir things up, pray things up? Like when he's at rest within us. Ephesians 2 and verse 6 says that we are seated, showing rest, in Christ, in heavenly places, at the right hand of the Father, speaking about authority. So the dove is a picture of Christ, but there's a fulfillment of what was prophetically done by Noah. And that dove now comes to rest on Christ. And now we know that this is the fulfillment of that scripture. It's the fulfillment of the picture. It's the fulfillment of God's plan. It's for Christ to come and to show the fullness of God. But then Colossians 2 verse 9 and verse 10 says, Now we are complete in Him. God, the Holy Spirit, is at rest with Christ. And we are now sharing in that completeness in Him. What a beautiful 
Beautiful story. What a beautiful revelation that John shares with us here. Like Noah released it from the ark, it found no place of rest in a fallen world. The last time Noah released the dove, it flew and never returned. It flew throughout history, over Abraham and the patriarchs, over the prophets and the kings, with no place to rest, until at last there was a heavenly man who carried the life of heaven upon him, and the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove rested and remained. The Holy Spirit rested and remained on Christ. What a beautiful picture for us that God is at rest with us and God is no longer looking around, but He knows it is the people of God. It is the ones who are one with Christ. They are the family. They are the light. They are the light bearers, the powerful ones. They are the carriers of life in this world. John 1.33 from the New Living Translation says, then in, uh, I didn't know He was the one. But when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, now John speaking, John the Baptist, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I baptize with water, but the one coming after will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And who is he? He's the one on whom you'll see the Holy Spirit descend and rest. That is who Christ is. He brings rest into this world. And then he says, I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. I saw the prophecy fulfilled. I see the promise, which is the Holy Spirit coming in the form of, of, of a spirit and living in man. That is um, what the promise was to Abraham. Galatians 3 and verse 14 for reference. It is that always has been that the God in spirit form will live in man. And who is the first begotten? Who was the example? Who's the prototype? Who's the first one? The, the, the firstborn among many witnesses, among many brethren, Romans 8 speaks of. It is Christ. And John testifies of that through John the Baptist's um, testimony and saying, I saw that. I saw the Holy Spirit come on a man and then not leave. <laughs> we see Saul. Saul gets anointed and Saul needs it and then the Spirit leaves. But now um, Samson, same. Spirit comes upon him, stirs up in power, cuts off his hair, Spirit leaves. Now we have the one on whom the Spirit rests. We have the one in whom the Spirit, even if the world falls apart, even if he gets crucified, even if there's darkness all around us, the Spirit is at rest within us when we are in Christ and we are with him. So, in conclusion, how do we overcome fear in dark times? How do we overcome fear in dark times as a family? That's so important. We're looking at the fearless family. We overcome through family. We overcome as the fearless family of God. Like John, like Mary at the foot of the cross. Together, side by side, eyes fixed on Jesus. That's how they lived through that time. And that's how they stuck together. And there was a family restored. There was a new family birthed because they stuck close and they stuck to Jesus. Amen. Eyes on Him. The, the book of Hebrews writes it clearly. Let us fix our eyes on Him, the author and the finisher of our faith. The one who is what we believe. Let's look to Him and finish our race strong. Let's keep on standing, keep on speaking, keep on building through what? Revelation and relationship. We keep on building through revelation and through relationship. Let's build the kingdom like Jesus and His fearless family did with revelation and relationship. Revelation of Christ, where He is, He's our source of life, He's our hope giver, He's the light of the world, but He's in us. And then relationship, relationship with God through the Spirit, but relationship also with each other and that's really what we are doing this morning is having relationship around the word sharing words sharing a revelation of christ and saying hey guys this is what i saw look at it <laughs> i'm just a tour guide this morning i'm taking you on a tour of what i see in the word and i hope that you enjoy the tour with me i hope that you see other things 
even on this journey and that God really births faith in your heart through the revelation of who Christ is. We are the light of the world. We are the hope carriers, the, the image bearers of Christ. And uh, the same one who touched lepers now lives in us. The same one who spoke the world into being now lives in us. The same one who conquered the death on a cross and a grave now lives in us. And I want you to be encouraged by that. I want you to, to live like that. And you are not alone. Please, you are not alone. Let us know what we can pray for you, how we can um, uh, like just minister to you, how we can help you to, to stand up. And sometimes your eyes uh, get, grow dim and your arms grow weary. And we want to hold up your arms and we want to pray with you. We want to stand with you. We've got prayer meetings on Tuesdays, every Tuesday at 2, which you can be part of. We've got life groups. We've got Bible studies. We've got ministry school. There's many opportunities. And if you really need us to minister to you, please contact us and we'll send someone your way. And we want to make sure that you are ministered to, that you are stirred up, and that you are full of, um, full of the revelation of what you have. I want to say you, you are full of God. If you're in Christ, you're full of Him already. <laughs> I want you to have a revelation of that. In this world, we have trouble, but we are not of this world. We can cheer up, because Christ in us is the hope of glory. Amen. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like us to pray with you, please contact us at info at gracelife.co. If you'd like to order more resources or discover more about us, you can visit our website at www.gracelife.co or find us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube.